Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And for this week, the official podcast of NBO Toronto. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. And uh, Mike, we are through the qualifying weekend. We have the draws in place, the main draws. Qualifying is decided. And uh, we're ready for some tennis from Aviva Center in Toronto. It's go time. It's finally go time after what feels like an eternity waiting for high level competitive tennis to return to both Toronto and Montreal. So I'm super stoked, uh, especially here in, in our city of Toronto, to see the stands, you know, not packed, but to see the stands full of people, which wasn't uh, able to happen on qualifying weekend as it was in Montreal. Um, so it'll be great to see fans, you know, get back in there and it'll be great for you and me to get back in there as well and catch some of the action. It's, it's going to be great. And it starts from the get go on Monday, really here in, in our city. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. And uh, with uh, the player access that we are getting, we're going to try and bring you a different player uh, every day that we can. And our guest for, for today will be uh, Toronto's Braden Schnur, Pickering, Ontario, rather, uh, Braden Schnur, who uh, qualified for this event with a couple of wins. So we'll talk to him later in the episode. And a uh, great thing now is we have our order of play. So we've kind of broken down the draws over the weekend, um, but we have our lineup for the day session and the night session. And I think that's a perfect place to start in Toronto. Um, of course, all the access is going to be center court tennis. And uh, first up on center court, interesting matchup of veterans. Marin Cilic will take on Albert Ramos Vinoyos. Uh, felt like Cilic was playing better tennis in the grass court campaign. Um, former world number three. He's a Grand Slam winner. Finalist a couple times at Wimbledon and the Australian Open. Um, and he's always exciting to watch because he has such a heavy weight of ball, just so much power from the back of the baseline. And he still got it. I mean, it was Roger Federer, I think, at Wimbledon during the grass court season who practiced with Chilich and said, hey, in practice, he's looking absolutely terrific. It's just a matter of putting that together consistently back in mm-hmm. match play. And, you know, sometimes at the start of a tournament, you might get a weak order of play on a Monday or a Tuesday of a tournament. And I think from the get-go at the National Bank Open here, fans are going to get their, their money's worth on Monday because you're seeing a Grand Slam champion kick things off. And there's only so many Grand Slam champions over the last 15 years who aren't named Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic. So here's one of them. And it gets followed up by by some other entertaining day matches. And the night session is super solid as well. I mean, you go from Chilich to the always entertaining and unpredictable Fabio Fanini on center court. That should be fun to watch. And the night session is jam-packed. I'll let you maybe lead us into that because it's back-to-back night session matches that I wouldn't want to miss. Yeah, night session is great, and it'll be starting at 7 o'clock. And Vashik Pospisil, uh, he, of course, got a main draw wild card to this event. He's going to take on American Tommy Paul, who's a great competitor himself. And these two guys, such different game styles, honestly. Vashik kind of big serve, forehand combo. He plays really well at net. Tommy Paul is like such a good grinder, counterpuncher, runs everything down. And they're so close in the rankings. Vashik... Um, this year, he would probably admit himself he's stagnated a bit, but he's 61st in the rankings right now. Tommy Paul, 55. Um, and this feels like just on paper, um, very, very close. And Vashik says he's super, super excited to just be back home. And one huge thing for him coming to this tournament, because this is him starting his summer hardcourt swing, is that fans will be there. I think he feels like he can get a big boost from that. 
And he's going to get a huge boost. Fans in Toronto have always rallied behind our Canadian players, and and Vashik is no exception. He's such a likable guy. He's easy to root for. He's represented our country time and time again in, in Davis Cup action. And in terms of a first-round opponent, and this is no slight against Tommy Paul, but it could have been a lot worse. I mean, yes. clearly you're not going to get one of the top 16 seeds as they've, they've all received a bye. But there's lots of other players who you could have faced that would be, you know, perhaps tougher than the American. So I think this is a winnable match for Vashik. He's got the home crowd behind him. He's going to relish having Canadian fans behind him. And hopefully that can propel him through. Um, and then following that, you know, sometimes you get an opening nighttime match where this is the one you want to stay for. And then the fans kind of filter out. Yeah. I don't think fans are going to be filtering out when your follow-up match is Nick Kyrgios against another American, uh, Riley Opelka. So Kyrgios, this is, this is prime time. He's a wild card in more ways than just one. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully, I don't know. I feel like I've, I've gotten a sense from Kyrgios recently that he's starting to appreciate the moments that he is on court, that he hasn't played a ton through the last year due to the pandemic and, and staying in Australia and he's enjoying himself a little bit more out there. So hopefully we're going to see a very competitive and enthused Nick Kyrgios. And you're going to see some entertaining stuff too between the tweeners, the underhand serves. It's all going to be on display. I have no doubt tomorrow night. Yeah, that's a great late night match. And um, Riley Opelka, pardon me for, for his big a serve that he does have. He's very capable from the back of the baseline with his ground strokes. He's one of the better movers of the big, big guys. I think he stands six foot ten. Um, if you like massive serves, you, you have exactly the match you want. But if you want some competitive baseline rallies as well, I, I think these two are going to bring it. And yeah, you hit on a good point with Nick Curios. He's played such few tournaments the past, you know, year and a half. I think it's only six. Um, he had an early exit at the City Open last week, losing to eventual finalist uh, Mackenzie McDonald. Um, but I, I think he is relishing the moments a little bit more. He's been introspective in press lately, um, having a bit more appreciation for when he does play. He always struggled, you know, I think playing so frequently on a week to week basis, he'd be out on a backcourt playing the world number 125 and, and not really caring, but you put him in a night session in Toronto in a packed crowd. And I think that's what gets his energy going. I sure, I sure hope so. I mean, I think back to 2016 when he played against Denis Shapovalov and um, I, I feel you asked that question to Dennis in pre-tournament press yes. about that very match and, and how that was his first big win on the ATP tour and, and helped propel him and give him some confidence. And in that match, it went three sets, but it felt in some ways like Kyrgios was almost trying to hand the match to a young Dennis and, and he wasn't really fully engaged. I, I don't feel we're going to see that from Nick at this stage of the game. I feel like he has matured and there's always been this dichotomy with him, the, the immense talent and the fact that he's able to put, you know, uh, people in the seats and the fact that he's so good at growing the game and signing autographs and having yep. fans on the practice court with him. I mean, I've seen that stuff and I think this is what more tennis players need to be like. And then you see the alternate, which is, boy, sometimes you can really tank a match and be really gruff in press or whatnot. And it's hard to warm up to him. So I think as he's getting older, uh, we're starting to see that maturity that kicks in. He talks sometimes about how he might leave the game at a moment's notice. He never knows. I hope he's going to stick around. Don't care if he wins slams or not. I just hope he's going to stick around and, and entertain us for a little while longer, at least. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, as I said, I think in our uh, preview episode as well, Nadal is in his quarter 
of the draw. And I feel like that's also, yeah, that quite early. So I feel like that's also a good motivator for him that he thinks, well, a couple wins here and I can face Nadal and he loves facing one of the big three. Um, a couple other matches I'll just point out, and these won't happen on center court, but grandstand uh, starting at 11 in the morning. Uh, Lorenzo Sonigo against Ugo Amber is an interesting first round match. Uh, James Duckworth did qualify for this tournament. He'll face American Taylor Fritz early on. And uh, Braden Schnur will get to the interview um, shortly. He's opening against South African Lloyd Harris, who, of course, is coming off a great tournament at the City Open where he upset Rafael Nadal en route to uh, a run to the quarterfinals before losing to Tanisha Corey. Yeah, so that kind of helps us transition into what can fans expect on site here in Toronto. The fan experience obviously is going to be quite different than in the past due to the restrictions that are in place protecting the players in their bubble. And, uh, you know, pros and cons to that, of course, some of the pros, we finally get to watch some live tennis again here in Canada, which tennis fans have been really waiting for. And you want to bring in those fringe fans as well and hopefully grow them on the game, sell them on the sport so that they keep coming back. Um, All the best matches, in theory, we're going to be seeing on center court. And so that's where fans are going to be restricted to. But you're going to get all the big names that you want to see some of the you know the the tougher parts of the experience this year is you can't roam the grounds of course you can't get out to the grandstand court you can't get out to the practice courts and the smaller courts so fans will miss out on some matches like on monday not being able to cheer on Braden schnur as he tries to make the second round at the national bank open uh, not being able to catch felix ogialiasim and his buddy alex galarno in doubles on court one and they're up against a, a, a wow a super talented all russian team and Hachanov and Rublev so the Russians might be looking for some Davis Cup revenge from their doubles result uh, nearly two years ago against Team Canada so that is one of the drawbacks is you can't just roam around and and kind of you know jump from match to match which is something I've always enjoyed doing but some tennis fans are different some like parking themselves on center court watching a match from start to finish and so there's definitely some some good things coming um, what are some other things, Ben, that, that come to your mind that are going to be a little different this year with the experience? Yeah, um, obvi- obviously yeah. the protocols, at least in some sense, I, I think we are used to that in the COVID world. Um, but masks have to be on all times on site. And uh the only case where you're not going to have to wear your mask is the moment you sit down in your seat. Once you're seated, you can take that off. Obviously, uh, along with roaming the grounds, people like to go and buy a beverage, pick up some food. You do get in-seat service, so you can get food and drink, but that's only available once you're in your seat. Um, so so that works. And uh, just general physical distancing. You are, you're also going to have to fill out a health questionnaire. When you're on your way out, you're going to have your temperature taken, little things like this. And also, we're not in a situation now where if a match is kind of, you know, midway through, you can enter on. Uh, they want they want fans to be coming in prior to match time starting. So if you haven't really grabbed your seat yet, as, as far as my understanding goes, um, that's not going to be allowed. They'd wait for the next match to serve. Uh, to, right. to let Although you they in, got so. a lot of bathroom breaks, I guess, as well. Yes, so, yes know, they do. There will they be do. some reasons to come and go. Uh, I feel like so many of those things you just mentioned, we're so accustomed to anyways, at this point, exactly. um, you know, temperature checks, uh, health form screenings. I mean, my kids are in summer sports. We got to fill them out almost every game, pretty much. Um, I- I'm desensitized to that sort of thing. Um, you know, uh, distance from other people. I'm still okay with that. Actually, you can yep. sit clearly with the people you're coming with. Uh, you can bring food and beverage in just not alcoholic beverages. Right. Um, so they do are encouraging you to bring, you know, some items from home. 
uh, I think once you're in your seat and you're watching the tennis, everything else is going to just fall by the wayside and you're going to enjoy uh, a feeling of normalcy. You're going to enjoy catching top level tennis again. And I think it's going to be more than enough uh, for 99% of us who are in attendance at that point. Yeah, I, I think the attitude to be to take here to this tournament is be grateful and thankful that we have the opportunity to watch this live tennis. If you asked both of us, I know two, three months ago, we would have told you no way are we going to get the chance for this. So the fact that it's here is, is fantastic. And even I know sooner, I'm even sooner, sorry. Uh, I yeah. mean, if you, you'd even talk to Carl Hale, tournament director, or any of the people behind the scenes, yep. they would have said even a few weeks ago, we don't know if this is going to be broadcast only with no fans. So Definitely, I think, you know, uh, and this resonates with what Rafa Nadal was saying in press today. Yes, we're in a bubble. It's not ideal. But, you know, given what so many people have gone through this year, so many people who've, you know, either lost a family member or been sick and lost a job or something like that due to COVID, you know, this is a definite step in the right direction. We should be thankful for it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just getting to a little more action from the weekend, obviously all these top players holding their pre-tournament press conference um, as media, of course, we're privy to those and have have great access uh, and, and just wanted to touch on some of the players and, and staying with the action from Toronto. Um, speaking with Denis Shapovalov, as you mentioned, I brought up that win that he did have in 2016 against Nick Kyrgios. And what I took away from his press conference, first of all, his first round loss in Stodd was clearly not even remotely on his mind whatsoever. He was kind of locked into the way he was playing at Wimbledon all the way to that semifinal and said he feels like a major threat. And you could kind of sense the confidence just in his voice. Um, he, he's always operated with this swagger, but I, I think he knows he's starting to hit that peak and at the right time. And um, if you're interested, I, I wrote a preview of this tournament for sportsnet.ca and, and sort of pointed out, I, I really do feel like he could be in for a very big summer. Yeah. And you know, our, our French sibling podcast said the same, that they could see a potential Dennis and Felix going deep, maybe not right to the finals, but both having deep runs on either side because of the draw that exists and because of what both of them can bring to the table when they're playing their best tennis, that clay court tournament, I don't think we put any stock in that. No. I mean, <clears throat> appearance fee, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but he's on hard court. He's in his hometown. He's played fantastic in Canada in the past, and he believes he's a major threat and he should believe that he's a major threat being a top 10 guy now and uh, and with the fans behind him and he's a guy that feeds off that energy so for Dennis I think that can only help him um, good talking to him in pre-tournament press uh, who else did we get well we spoke about or alluded to Nadal a little bit earlier and there is still some sort of cautious optimism as I believe you mentioned to me before we started recording about his health about how his foot is doing but he also said when asked about it hey I've been dealing with my foot since 2005 it's yeah. never been perfect I don't get the sense that it's something debilitating that's going to take him out of the tournament. And clearly, I hope I'm right with that assessment. Yeah, I think he knows he needs the match play, too. And uh, he didn't seem too down on what happened at the City Open. I, I think he felt like, OK, it's my first ma it's my first couple matches, um, you know, since the French Open. He completely missed the entire grass court swing. He missed the Olympics, and those are two events. I, I mean, we know how much Nadal prioritizes the Olympics, so obviously there's something serious keeping him out of that. But he feels like he needs match play, and I think he is comfortable here. Five-time champion at the National Bank Open, which is is his best hardcore tournament historically. Um, he seems to have such a comfort with this surface. So I, I'm curious to see what happens 
early rounds for him. If he kind of gains a little momentum, he had a tough go in Washington, kind of playing this marathon three setter, his, his first match with Jack Sock, which almost seemed like a setback physically for him. So I think if he has a couple easier matches to get going, he's got to be a contender to win here again. Yeah, although that third round potentially with Kyrgios is not going to be the easy match that nope. he's looking for either. So we'll That's see true. What, what happens there. Um, I asked Rafa in, in press today about his, not his first uh, National Bank Open, because he did play in 2004, but in 2005, I think the one that sticks in everyone's mind in Montreal when he went to the finals, beat Andre Agassi, his first ever ATP hardcourt tournament. And I, I was refreshing my memory because for me, I mean, that was a long time ago for him as well. He had won eight clay court tournaments that season coming into the summer hardcourt swing. It was a real coming out party for him, clearly. But people wondered, is this guy just a clay court specialist right. or is he going to be able to translate that onto other surfaces? And I mean, he didn't go into too much depth about it, but did kind of allude to there was some importance to that first Rogers Cup, now National Bank Open in 2005 showing him that, hey, I can do this on hardcourt as well. Even though he had always been good on hardcourt, still proving, I think, to the pundits and, and media members and fans out there that he's going to be a threat on every service. And look what he's done since. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been unbelievable. Um, just a couple other notes on some of our men's players. Vashik Pospisil, I was impressed for that. And uh, yeah, as I said earlier, um, it's it's been kind of a difficult season for him. Just a handful of wins on the tour, and he hasn't really had that match momentum. And he did acknowledge that off-court distractions have, have made this season a bit of a challenge, and I'm sure that relates to the, the Players Association getting that off the ground. Uh, we saw his frustrations voiced, I recall, at one tournament uh, over the ATP head um, when he kind of had a bit of a meltdown off on the side of the court. So uh, it's it has been a challenging year. I'm surprised this didn't come to a head a bit sooner because he played so well in 2020. He was ATP comeback player of the year, but he feels like he just needs kind of matches in succession, a couple wins here and there um, to really get going. He feels like it's kind of a fresh start to his season, I will say. Um, just on the women's side, I was impressed with Arena Sabalenka and... Um, she says she likes the pressure of being the number one seed, but also kind of had a chuckle about having the number one. I was like, well, you're, you're the top seed here. And she said, well, I'm only the top seed because Naomi and Ashley Barty are not here. Uh, it was interesting with the, I wasn't in on that press conference, but uh, you know, maybe she's playing coy as well because she's been yeah. playing some fantastic tennis and nobody's going to want to face her here. She's a deserving number one seed. Uh, the, the women's press conferences, it was interested. I mean, you and I are mostly going to be focusing on the Toronto tournament because that's where Correct. we're based and, and covering the men's tournament this year. But of course, we'll be touching base on what's happening in Montreal and poking our heads into the press conferences there too. Every time I went into one of those Zooms today, I felt like it was me and like one other person, whereas <laughs> the men's press conferences here in Toronto were, were you know, more packed. Uh, but it was a great opportunity for you and I to get in a few more questions than we normally would. I mean, I'm sitting in there with Simona Halep, and I'm one of like two people asking questions. Questions. Alina Svitolina, Olympic bronze medalist. And again, I get like four or five of them in a row. So I think we're going to have a good chance to bring you a lot of what is happening in Montreal too. And just to touch base on those two, I mean, Halep is coming in having won the last two times she's played in Montreal. So even though she hasn't played in three months, she said, I have as much confidence as I can because this is an event where I've done so well in the past. It's also one of the rare events where she's got so many Romanian fans in oh, the yes. crowd. And she mentioned that's not normal either. 
Um, for Svitolina, who's been recently uh, anointed an Olympic medalist and also recently married, it's been a summer with a lot of positives. And she's also won in Canada before in Toronto. So she feels pretty good as well. And it just goes to speak again to the mental aspect of the game and how that can help you out even if you're not feeling necessarily as, as fresh as you could be like Svitolina coming from Tokyo or as match ready as you could be like Halep is. And, uh, and hopefully those two do have a deep run because they got a lot of fan support in that city. Yeah, yeah, well said. And uh, we'll touch on just some of the Canadians who were competing and qualifying this weekend, uh, both in Toronto and Montreal. And uh, while we only did have one qualifier, um, I, I don't really see that as a negative at all. I, I'm seeing some positives for for example, on the men's side, uh, Peter Perlansky winning his first qualifying match. I, I think it's been a grind for him this season. Getting some kind of match wins in succession hasn't really happened for him. So he opened with a qualifying win. That was solid. And, and then on the women's side, we had a lot of young Canadian players just getting that opportunity for the first time, like a Kayla Cross being able to play, Melody Coyar being able to play at this home tournament. Um, other names like Rafael Lacasse had a chance to play Christina McHale, which is a brutal opening qualifying match. Um, Canadian Lane Sleeth held her own against uh, Potapova, went three sets. Uh, so there were there were opportunities just for these women to, I, I think, feel what it's like to, to play on the pro tour, play some of the best women's players in the game and, and get gain that experience. Yeah, absolutely. For a player like Kayla Cross, for example, who's very young and, and hasn't faced players of this caliber before in a real match, She's coached by Rob Steckley, who's one of our good friends who comes on the podcast quite regularly, and, and he's been coaching her for some time just to have that experience and see, okay, where's the gap? How much more do I have right. to develop? What is the strength of these players like? The consistency, it's a huge opportunity for them that they're not going to get anywhere else throughout the season. And there's two women before we switch over to the men, and I know you're going to lead us into your interview with Braden Schnur, but Francoise Abanda and Lane Sleeth both really impressed me. Abanda, who used to be on the cusp of the top 100 at a young age as well, 17, 18 years old, uh, she's been away from the game for so long with injuries, shoulder, recurring shoulder injury. She also had COVID earlier in the year that really zapped her strength. For her to hang in there in two tight sets against Caroline Garcia of France, who's you know previously been a top 10 mainstay, that's a terrific effort, I feel like, and just shows if she can get some more practice under her belt and match play. Also getting the benefit of some tutelage from Sylvain Bruno right now, who was up until recently Bianca Andrescu's coach. That can only help her out. So that was a real positive. And, and her response on social media showed that she felt really sort of buoyed and, and positive about the whole uh, experience in qualities. Lane Sleeth, who plays college tennis to push Potapova to three sets, that mm -hmm. also must be hugely encouraging. And, and we'll see what some of these college players do once they've completed their eligibility or decide to turn pro at some point. But that's got to be very positive. And, and speaking of going from college to turning pro, Braden Schnur is, is someone who went that route. And so great to see him. Uh, it's unfortunate he's the, the lone Canadian, but great to see him come through, through qualities and, and have an opportunity now to uh, go even further in the main draw. Yeah, I was so impressed that he pulled this off, especially you looked at his qualifying draw opening against American Marco Skiron, who's a player who's put together quality wins inside the top 75. So he came through that match 6-2, 6-3. And after that, it felt like there was a winnable opportunity against Daniel Gallen, who's a little stronger on the clay. And uh, Schnur coming through there 7-6, 6-3 to qualify. Um, and 
you know, just as we lead into this interview, I, I will say Schnur had his best tennis moment in 2019. We remember he made that uh, surprising run to the finals of the New York Open, and he he cracked the top 100, peaking at 92. He feels like his best tennis is ahead of him. I will say that. Um, here's my quick interview with a Canadian and Pickering, Ontario native Braden Schnur. Happy to be joined on Matchpoint Canada right now by Braden Schnur. And uh, Braden, we'll start uh, just from your performance on the weekend. Uh, you've qu- qualified for the main draw of the National Bank Open. Uh, just how overall do you feel about uh, your performance this weekend and, and the way you're playing tennis right now? Yeah, I'm super happy with uh, obviously my level of tennis that I've uh, been able to showcase the last two days. I uh, played high quality matches and complete matches from start to finish. And yeah, I'm just uh, super excited for the opportunity to be in the main draw and, and to get another crack at this. And, and how do you feel about the season overall? Cause you know, you, you've mainly been grinding on the challenger circuit and, and sometimes when you're doing that, it can be tough to build some momentum. Where do you feel your level is at right now? Because uh, you're a player we've seen in the top 100 in the past, of course. Yeah, I mean, I feel my level has been very high for for a lot of this year. Um, I've been telling a lot of my coaches and family members constantly that, you know, I'm playing the best, some of the best tennis I've been playing in practice. And uh, sometimes it just hasn't translated in matches um, back to back to back on consecutive days. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, during this pandemic, it's um, we've seen a really tough schedule in the Challenger Tour where the majority, I would say about 85 to 90% of tournaments are played on clay. And that's not really a surface that's my forte. So I've been put in a position to, um, you know, try to maintain my ranking on a surface that I don't really enjoy playing on, let alone played barely any professional tournaments on. And it's had, I've had to shift my mindset from result oriented to process oriented and just focus on getting better and, use the clay to develop my baseline game. And now I'm seeing all that kind of pay off. And um, given that at least, you know, now you're, you're back on the hard courts for North America, playing, playing your home tournament. Um, it, just having that comfort level, do, do you feel like a, a different kind of vibe, something in the air when you do get the opportunity again to play in Toronto? Yeah, definitely to play in front of family. Um, it's been, it's been awesome. But, uh, you know, I'm playing in front of like a quarter or a sixth of like my family members right now because not a lot of them are able to come out. Right. Uh, If I get the opportunity to play on center court. um, Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, You know, finally to play in front of all my family. But I'm not going to lie to you that not being in front of them or playing in crowds this weekend has honestly just been it's just felt like practice. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't nearly have all the pressure of having 25 family members out there cheering me on. Um, you know, I want that. I, I love pressure and I embrace it, but, uh, you know, I've played well without it and yeah. Just a couple more questions for you. Um, moving forward uh, after this tournament, what kind of schedule are you setting up for yourself and, and maybe what kind of goals are you setting for yourself for the remainder of the season? Um, honestly, I can't really tell you other than the U S open that I have planned. Mm-hmm there's no schedule for the challenger tour really released yet. So I'm just kind of waiting for ATP to release something so that I can schedule uh, some tournaments or or at least put something tentatively out. But again, that's, you know, that's part of the challenger tour is waiting last minute. Um, 
you know, our plans are never set in stone early. It's always last minute deciding things. Um, so yeah, I'll just kind of wait to see where I can play hardcore events. And if it's indoors in Europe or if it's outside in America, like that'll be a decision I have to come to. But right now, uh, you know, I haven't seen a far enough calendar into September to know where I'm going to be playing. And uh, U.S. Open qualifying will be will be important, right? Obviously for you. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just another opportunity, just like this week. You know, right? It's, to, to get opportunities at, at this top level where there's more on the line is uh, is massive. And and yeah, just focusing on my game. I know that I'm a tough player to beat when I'm playing really well. So um, you know, playing these complete matches back to back is put a lot of confidence uh, in my game right now. That's awesome. Well, I, I hope you take that confidence uh, for the rest of the week here in Toronto and, and the rest of the season. We look forward to, to watching you and wish you continued success. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. There you have it, my chat with uh, Braden Schnur. And he revealed something to me that I, I hadn't thought of um, going through the grind on the challenger schedule. He pointed out how the bulk of the challenger tournaments he's been forced to play, especially the past two years since COVID have been on clay saying about 80% of them have been on clay. That's his weaker surface. So he kind of had to take a step back mentally. You know, you're losing these matches on clay against clay quarters. It's difficult. He grew up on the hardcore surface. Um, so he says right now he's process oriented over results and the results are coming. He feels like right now he's really starting to play his best tennis and I, I'm hopeful for a good summer for him, honestly. Yeah, that's encouraging. I mean, I can't imagine Pickering has too many clay courts, but I've never been to see the uh, public courts there and, and clubs. So maybe I'm mistaken, but I mean, you could say that for most Canadians, but he's six foot four. He's got a good pop on his serve. That's going to translate to more success on, on hard courts. He just turned 26 in July. So there's still time for Braden Schnur. Yep. I think that New York open run that you mentioned early in 2019 kind of got our hopes up that, uh, you know, back when he was 23, hey, maybe he's going to take that leap into the top 100 and give us another steady presence. That hasn't, you know, come to fruition. But as you mentioned in the way he described it, there's kind of a reason for that too the past couple of years, which have been so challenging. So this should definitely uh, pump his tires a little bit. Hey, maybe he can keep this going a little bit further. And um, one of the real nice guys as well in the, the Canadian tour, he's always taken time for, for me, for us. Uh, yep. We've had him on the podcast before. So best of luck to Braden Schnur and, and great that we could grab him today for a short chat as well. Yeah. And uh, as, as I said, uh, he will open his tournament on the Monday schedule. He's starting around four o'clock against South African Lloyd Harris. My hope for that matchup, Lloyd Harris played a lot of tennis in Washington, some long, long matches. Maybe there's a little fatigue from the South African in that one. And Braden right. Schnur can catch him off guard. Right. If he were to pull off a monumental upset there. Well, maybe it's not a monumental upset. If he were to pull off the upset there, he would face Rafael Nadal center court night match on Wednesday, which would be, I think, absolutely electric, regardless yeah, of how that goes. And let's hope for Lloyd Harris. He's played pretty well against uh, top 10, top 20 opponents uh, of late. You do let your guard down maybe when you're facing someone who you yeah. don't know as well, who's ranked a little bit lower. So hopefully Braden, as a qualifier, who's got two match wins already, uh, already under his belt can keep that going and, and surprise them. It'd be a lot of fun. And although we can't see him on center court, fans can't see it uh, tomorrow live in Toronto, Monday uh, in Toronto, definitely going to be on center court. If he faces Rafa in the next match on Wednesday. 
Yes, we'll be uh, watching for that. And we'll be watching and covering all the action throughout the week. Reminder, you'll get daily podcasts from us here at Matchpoint Canada. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast this week of NBO Toronto. We will talk to you next time.